This is Josh Smith, pastor of Prince Avenue Baptist Church in Bogart, Georgia. Our mission at Prince is simple, leading people to trust and follow Jesus. And it's our hope that this sermon would help accomplish that mission. For more information about our church, visit us at pabc.org. Thank you so much, church family. Before we get started this morning, I just want to say thank you so much. I'm really, really thankful for the opportunity to serve here. My wife, Jillian, and I were talking about this the other day of just how thankful we are to be at Prince Avenue Baptist Church. From the moment that we set foot in this place, you've made it feel like home and you've made us feel like family. So thank you so, so much. I'm honored to serve underneath the leadership of our pastor. I am so thankful for the opportunity to learn from Pastor Josh Smith. He has been incredible. I'm so honored to be a member of the staff team here. God has truly blessed us with some incredible men and women to lead the way here at Prince Avenue Baptist Church. And I'm just honored to be a part of the team and I'm excited for the days that are ahead. And I'm really, really excited about the word that the Lord has laid on my heart for our time together this morning. If you would, if you'd just join me in prayer before we get started. Father, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for the opportunity to gather in this place and lift high your name in song and to open your word together. And God, I just pray, I really, really ask that you would be glorified in this moment, that you would speak to us in this moment. I know that I, on my own, am incapable of making that happen. So Holy Spirit, would you just move in a mighty way, would you use me? Would you use this time to speak directly to us in this moment? Lord, we love you, we trust you. I'd invite you now, right where you sit, if you could just pray and ask God to, to speak to you during this time. Just, just give you a moment, just ask God to speak, to use this moment, to use me, to speak into your life. Father, we love you, we trust you, we believe that you are here. Would you use these moments, would you use this time for your glory, for our good? And we ask this in the name that is above every name, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Well, it's no secret that we are living in some truly unique times, right? We could say it like that. These days that we are living in are absolutely crazy. It's not at all what I expected out of 2020, and I imagine it's not what you expected either, right? Like if you predicted this, I want to talk to you after this service because I've got some questions about what else is coming up, all right? Like this is unreal. I was thinking about this as I was preparing for this morning of just like how 2020 started for me versus where I am now. 2020 started for me, I was actually on a trip with our student pastor, Jace Thomas. We had taken some high school seniors who have now graduated. Congrats, seniors. We love you. Uh, we had taken some high school seniors to Passion 2020. Some of you are familiar with the Passion Conference. It's a Christian conference hosted by Passion City Church in Atlanta, Georgia. And we had taken some of our students over to Atlanta. We were in the Mercedes-Benz Stadium on December 31st as the new year came in at midnight, singing praises to King Jesus with 60,000 other people which is just wild to think that that happened this year. It's just really, really crazy to think that at the beginning of this year, I was in a dome with 60,000 other people. 
We then came back from that trip and I was really energized, really excited to start the semester and college ministry got started off with a bang. We saw some incredible things, saw God do some amazing things in our ministry. We changed a lot of things. We started hosting a worship service for college students on UGA's campus at a venue there actually at the university to be a little bit more accessible to college students. As a result of that, we started seeing more students come, which then translated to more students getting plugged in here at Prince. God was doing some incredible things, and it seemed like the semester was flying by, and we had so much momentum. We moved into spring break, and my wife and I had the opportunity to join the mission team that went to Manchester, United Kingdom, over UGA spring break. We took five college students with us there, as well as some other members of our church, and the week started off strong. We saw a man who had grown up in the Middle East be baptized, even though it was going to mean a lot of persecution for him later on in his life, and just saw God do some incredible things, and then the coronavirus starts to get like really serious, and we're thousands of miles away from home. And we start hearing about the NBA's canceling its season, things are shutting down all of a sudden for some reason that I don't think anybody still understands. Toilet paper was a scarce product, right? And my wife and I are like, hey, did you buy toilet paper before we left? Like, are we good? We're gonna have to smuggle some back on the plane. What's the deal here, right? And it was just crazy. By the grace of God, we, we make it back to the States. Literally, we are in the air when President Trump passed the executive order that there was gonna be no more travel from the UK, all right? It was crazy. We get back. We come back to a much very different world than the one that we left, right? Things are shutting down, and of course, you know the end of the story. Not soon after that, not long after that, excuse me, not long after that, we find out that the University of Georgia has suspended their in-person instruction. Students are not coming back. And I just got to tell you, if I'm being honest, whenever I heard that, it did not sit well with me. I felt like I'd had the breath knocked out of me. A little bit because I had no idea what that meant for me, what that meant for this church, what that meant for the college ministry. I was a little devastated without being melodramatic. I was a little depressed. I didn't know what in the world was coming next. And my guess is the majority of you in the room can identify with that feeling. One of the good things I guess you could say that's come out of this moment is that we're all on a level playing field and that we're all living in the unexpected. We have no idea what's coming next. We have no idea what this is going to mean for us long term. And I know some people are suffering far more than others, and I'm not trying to downplay that, but we're all living in the unexpected. We are all in some way or another walking through some kind of valley because this is not at all the way that life is supposed to be. So what I want to talk about this morning is how God is, typically has a habit of using moments exactly like this one. Moments in which we're left gasping for air where we don't have any idea what's coming next to reveal some amazing things about himself. Because you see, we just finished a series on Psalm 23, right? Well, how many of you know that it's a really easy thing to say that the Lord is my shepherd whenever he's leading you beside still waters, whenever he's leading you to lie down in green pastures? It's easy to praise the Lord in situations like that. It's much more difficult to trust the Lord as our shepherd whenever he's leading us through the valley of the shadow of death. It's really hard to fear no evil there, right? But it's in moments like those that we see God do incredible things and we come to really appreciate and understand a little bit more his power and his love for us. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. The overarching um, theme or point of this message is this, is that Jesus uses our suffering to reveal his sufficiency. 
Jesus uses our suffering to reveal his sufficiency. I want us to rally around this truth this morning because I have never been more aware of my need for the sufficiency of Jesus. So many things that I take for granted in life have been ripped from underneath me and I am left desperately desiring more of Jesus. And I believe that he uses moments just like these to show us how sufficient he truly is. And so to examine this point this morning, we're going to look at a very familiar passage of scripture found in John chapter 11. So if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to go ahead and join me in John chapter 11. This is a very familiar passage of scripture for some. Uh, Some of you may not have heard this story before, and that's okay. What you need to know is that this is a long story, so I'm not going to sit up here and read all 50 verses and then try to explain it to you. We're just going to kind of walk through this story together and pull out a couple of points Along the way. Before we actually dive into John chapter 11, what you need to know at this point, about at this point in Jesus' ministry, is that he's gained quite a following, meaning he's done some incredible things. He's done some amazing miracles at this point. But another thing that you should know is that the religious leaders of the day have really started to hate Jesus because they're messing, he's messing with their paradigm, right? He's messing with what they've got going on. And so when we actually catch up with Jesus in John chapter 11, he's just been chased out of town by the religious leaders of the day who are threatening to stone him. But the text tells us that people are still coming to him on the outskirts of town and more people are coming to believe in him. So even in the midst of persecution, his ministry is continuing to thrive, continuing to grow. And then John chapter 11 starts, and it seems to be almost like an interruption to the narrative a little bit, and that Jesus' ministry is growing, and then he gets some rather unsettling news about a friend of his named Lazarus, and he hears that Lazarus is ill. And what we know about Lazarus is this, is that Lazarus is the brother of Mary and Martha, Those are names that you may recognize if you spent much time in the Gospels. If you read through the Gospels, you'll recognize the names Mary and Martha. They were the sisters of Lazarus. What we know about this family is that Jesus has history with his family. In fact, John 11 verse 5 tells us that Jesus loved Mary, he loved Martha, and he loved Lazarus. He cares deeply about this family. He has relationship and history with this family. And Lazarus grows sick, and his sisters do the one thing that they know how to do. The one thing that they know they should do, they call out to Jesus. This one who they know has the power to do something about their brother's situation. They call out to Jesus and ask him to do something about Lazarus's situation. But Jesus responds in a little bit of an odd way. He says to the messenger, he says, this sickness is not the end in death. It's for the glory of the Lord to be revealed. And then he stays put for two days doesn't move, doesn't speak a word to make the illness leave Lazarus, doesn't make a move to go try to heal him before the the sickness takes him. And what we find out is that the sickness does take Lazarus and he dies and he's buried in the tomb. And then we see Jesus and his disciples make their way back to the village that Mary, Martha, and their brother Lazarus are from. And we see them go together and before they can even get to the house, Martha gets word that Jesus is on the way. And so Martha leaves the house and leaves everyone else and she goes out to Jesus. And the very first words out of her mouth are, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother, he wouldn't have died. And I want you to feel the pain 
in those words. Picture this scene with me, okay? This is a woman who knew Jesus. She didn't, she hadn't just heard like rumors about him. No, she had relationship with him. She knew him. She knew his love, she knew his grace, but she also knew his power. And she saw her brother get sick and she did the one thing that she knew how to do and she called out to Jesus, the one whom she knew could do something about her brother's situation and she asked for his help, but he didn't do it. And so she watched this sickness which Jesus could have prevented kill her brother. And now Jesus is standing right in front of her, but in Martha's eyes, he's too late. You ever been there? You ever felt that kind of pain before? That you face a situation in life in which you are absolutely helpless, and so you cry out to God, but he doesn't respond on the timetable that you were expecting. He doesn't respond in the way that you were hoping for. That's where Martha is right now. That's what Martha's feeling whenever she says, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But notice the next sentence out of her mouth. She says, but even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. So here, we're getting a glimpse into the faith of Martha. This is Martha saying, I don't know what's going on. I have no idea what you're doing. I do not understand, but I know you well enough to know that you're still powerful, that you're still good, that you still care about me. Even now, even in the midst of this pain, I believe that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. It's beautiful faith. It's remarkable faith, faith that comes from having actual relationship with Jesus Christ. And then things start to get a little bit interesting. And Jesus responds to Martha. And he says, your brother will rise again. And now Martha thinks that Jesus is talking about a distant day to come that she calls the resurrection on the last day. And she thinks that Jesus is talking about the end of time when the saints will rise and dwell again with God and there will be no more suffering, no more pain, and he will wipe every tear from every eye and we will live with him forevermore. Martha thinks that Jesus is talking about this distant day to come. So she says, I, I know, he'll rise again on the resurrection in the last day. But Jesus, with one of the seven I am statements found in John, or the seven statements that Jesus says about himself, says this. He says, no, no, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though they die, yet shall they live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe? Turns it back on her. And Martha responds again with remarkable faith. Yes, Lord, I believe you are the son of God who is coming into the world. And I believe that this first encounter with Jesus and Martha shows us something. And this is our first point this morning, if you wanna write this down, is that in our suffering, Jesus brings hope to our present. In our suffering, Jesus brings hope to our 
present, to the right now, because you see, Martha was looking to a day to come. She was trying to put her hope in a day to come, but Jesus is saying, no, 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 Martha, do not miss this. There is no resurrection and there is no life apart from me, and I'm here right now. I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe? He was trying to bring hope into her present. He was trying to lead her to hope in the right now because he was there right in front of her. And the principle still holds true for us that whenever we're walking through difficulty, whenever we're walking through suffering, yes, we do have the hope that there is a day that is coming in which there will be no more suffering, in which there will be no more pain, in which we will dwell in paradise with the Savior of the world, King Jesus. That's a beautiful truth that should bring hope to our souls. But until that day comes, we're still living in a world marred by sin the results of sin and the pain of sin is very real. We're living in a world where there are pandemics, where there are racial tensions, where there are political divides, where there is much suffering. Here's what I want us to see this morning, that in the midst of the days that we walk walk through, we're not meant to just put our hope in a day to come. We're meant to put our hope in a savior who has come and his name is Jesus Christ and he is ruling and he is reigning. And if we, like Pastor Josh talked about last week, if we will choose to fix our eyes on him and not let the current moment, the current cultural moment sink us, but instead fix our eyes on Jesus and spend time with Jesus and spend time at his feet and go to him often in prayer and spend time in his word, what we will find is hope in our day of suffering. What we will find is hope in our day of trouble. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't hope in a day to come. We absolutely should. But I'm just trying to say that we're not meant to just hope in a day to come. We're meant to hope in a savior who has come. And I believe that this is a truth that every believer needs now more than ever. Because here's the deal. I, like many of you, cannot wait until the moment that we are living in is over. I can't wait. I want some semblance of normalcy back in my life. I don't want it all back, to be sure, but I do want some things back. I want sports back. Like I want to go to a game in Sanford Stadium again. I want to go watch the Braves play again. I want my university students to come back again. I most certainly want this place to be filled to the brim with people singing praises to King Jesus again. I want those things. But I also don't want to miss out on anything that God is doing in the midst of this moment. Because what I know is that in the midst of days like this, it's easy to walk around with almost like a bitter impatience for a day to come. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to just put my hope in a day to come. I want to put my hope in a savior who has come. And I am in no way trying to diminish the pain that some of us are walking through. I'm in no way trying to say that we shouldn't be hopeful for a day to come, but I am trying to say that God has a habit of using times like this and we should not spend our days pining away for a day to come. We should be present in this moment and allow Jesus to bring hope to our presence so we can live the way that he's called us to live right now, not living in wishful thinking, but living in faith right now. Jesus wants to do that right now. So don't just put your hope in a day to come. Put your hope in Jesus. He has come. He is here. He is ruling. He is reigning. He brings hope to our present. That's not all he brings. See how the story continues. Martha then goes back 
And she goes and tells her sister Mary that Jesus has arrived. And Mary immediately gets up and she runs out of the house. And the people who are gathered to mourn with them run with her as well. And she collapses at the feet of Jesus. And she says the same sense to Jesus that Martha had said just a few moments before. Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. The text tells us that she's weeping and the crowd around her is also weeping. When you dig into the original language there, what you find out is that the word used for weeping whenever it speaks of Martha, excuse me, whenever it speaks of Mary and the crowd is this word that means loud, uncontrolled wailing. Weeping from a broken heart. Perhaps you know what it's like to weep like that. Again, feel this with this family. She's weeping. And the text tells us that Jesus sees this in front of them. And my text says that he is deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And again, if you'll allow me to nerd out here on the original language, if you dive into that a little bit more, what you find out is that that's more accurately translated to snort like a horse, which sounds kind of comical to think about Jesus snorting like a horse. But whenever you dig a little deeper, you find out that that actually implies great anger and indignation. So Jesus isn't just a little moved. Jesus isn't even just a little sad. Jesus is furious. He's angry. And why is he angry? Is he angry because these people are crying in front of him? He's like, come on, don't you know? I'm Jesus, like I'm here. Why would you cry? Like I'm right here in front of you. No. Jesus is angry because he sees what death has done to this family. He sees the results of sin playing out in front of him. He sees the pain that it brings those that he loves, and he is furious. And then, in the shortest, but perhaps one of the most profound verses in all of Scripture, we see Jesus' response. We see Jesus wept. Jesus wept. You know that verse that you all memorized in Bible school to get the points for Awana or whatever? Jesus wept. But what we see is that it's a different word used for weep whenever it talks about Jesus. It's not the same weeping as that of the crowd or that of Mary. Instead, it's a quiet, controlled weeping. And so what we see is that Jesus does not weep as one who has no control. But Jesus weeps as one who empathizes with the brokenhearted. He weeps as one who empathizes with the brokenhearted. And that leads us to our second point this morning. It's that in our suffering, Jesus brings compassion in our despair. In our suffering, Jesus brings compassion in our despair. The reality of the world that we live in is that there will always be times of despair. That is a result of sin in our world. What we believe as the people of God is that God created the world and he created it perfect. And he created mankind in his image to dwell with him, to find our satisfaction, to find our fulfillment, to find our greatest joy in communion with him. Yet we chose to rebel and pursue our own way. And with our rebellion, we invited sin into the world. And with it came everything that is dark, including despair. 
including suffering, including pain. We invited that into this world. With that one decision, sin entered the world, and whenever the results of sin touch you, there will absolutely be pain. There will be times of despair. But what I want you to understand this morning is that whenever despair comes, whenever it lodges into your heart, Jesus is not distant. He is present. He's there with you in the pain. He wants to bring compassion in the times of despair. And I believe this is so important because there are so many that I've talked to, just some people that I'm in relationship with who are walking through so many painful things right now. Some associated with the pandemic, some not. Some associated with the racial tensions of the world, some not. But there's all kinds of pain in our world right now. And as I just think about my friends and those that I'm in relationship with, I can't help but think there's many of you in the room who are probably walking through some of the same things. That there's difficult things going on in your life. That there's great pain going on in your life. And you come to church, you try to put on a brave face, but if you're being honest, there's a lot of pain in your heart and a lot of pain in your soul right now. And I just want you to hear me say, Jesus is not sitting up in heaven blissfully unaware of your situation. Jesus is not some distant deity. He is very present in your reality. He weeps with you. He wants to bring compassion into your times of despair. He wants to walk with you through the pain and use the pain for his glory and for your ultimate good. He is with you in the midst of it. And I believe we desperately need to know that truth this morning because here's the deal. Our tendency in times of despair, our tendency in times of suffering and pain is to run. We want to run away. We want to get away from absolutely everything. We definitely want to get away from God, right? Because sometimes we blame God for what we're going through. But what I would present to you this morning is that if you can truly see Jesus this way, if you can see Jesus as one who brings compassion in your despair, then you won't run away from him. You'll run to him. You'll be like Mary, who knew Jesus, who knew his compassion, who knew his love for her. And in her time of great suffering and great pain, what did she do? She ran to Jesus, fell at his feet, and wept and confessed to him the things that were breaking her heart. And you can do the exact same thing. That is available to you. You can run to Jesus. You can sit at his feet. You can weep with him as you tell him the things that are breaking your heart. And what you will find there is the same thing that Mary found. You will find a Jesus who weeps with you. He brings compassion in our times of despair. But the beautiful thing about our king is that he has no intention of leaving us there. Look how the story ends. This is amazing. Look how the story ends. Jesus then goes to the tomb. He says, take me to the tomb. And he comes up on this scene. It's a cave that is carved into a rock with a stone rolled in front of it, which should sound familiar to you, okay? There's another one of those coming later in the story. All right, so he sees this scene in front of him, and it says again that he's deeply moved and greatly troubled. That anger is still there. And he says, remove the stone. Remove the stone. And Martha speaks up and she says, no, Lord, he's been dead for four days. By this time, there's going to be an odor. Fun fact about this text, in the King James translation, it literally says, no, Lord, he stinketh. 
which has no relevance to this talk. I just thought you might want to know that because I think it's funny that the word stinketh is in the Bible. Okay? He stinketh. She doesn't want to let him in because there's an odor. She doesn't want to let him into the decay. She doesn't want to let him in to the death. And Jesus says, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they remove the stone. And Jesus prays. He thanks the Lord for the opportunity for many people to believe. And then he stands at the mouth of the tomb. And again, this is a scene you got to picture in your mind's eye. This is not flowy, brown hair, nice, polished, white robes, Jesus, that you see on a painting somewhere. This is the son of the living God who has the power of God, who looks death into the face and with a holy indignation calls into the grave and says, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus, come out. And what happens? Lazarus is made alive. This man who was dead is brought to life. This man whose body was once riddled with disease is now made healthy. This man who had ceased to breathe now has fresh breath in his lungs. Jesus brought life from death. And that leads us to our last point. In our suffering, Jesus brings life from our death. Jesus brings life from our death. We must understand this morning that Jesus is really, really good at restoring all things. Jesus is really, really good at bringing light to the darkness. Jesus is really, really good at bringing life from our death. What I want you to notice about this story is that the people of that day, they felt helpless. They needed hope. They were in the moment of despair. And Jesus came to show them that not only did he bring hope, not only did he bring compassion, but he also brought the very power of life and life to the full. And he called Lazarus out of that grave. He orchestrated this entire moment to show us that in the suffering, he is still sufficient. And church, I just want you to understand this morning that Jesus still does the same for us. He brings life to us. He wants to change our lives for all eternity. And we know this, and we can be confident of this, because we know the rest of the story. We know how this story ends. Because you see, what Jesus did on that day in history for Lazarus was temporary, right? Like Lazarus was going to need that tomb again. Lazarus was going to need those grave clothes again. Lazarus was going to die again. But what we see is on that day in history, Jesus fought death and he robbed the grave. And what we see is that what Jesus did for Lazarus on that day temporarily, he has now done for us ultimately. Because whenever Jesus fought death on that day, he robbed the grave. But there was another day that was soon coming after this in which Jesus would fight death again. But this time it would be in a different tomb with a different stone rolled in front of it. It would be in his own tomb. And this time, whenever Jesus fought death, death would not temporarily be held at bay, but death would be defeated once and for all. Because when Jesus walked out of his tomb, he had no intention of going back. When Jesus removed his grave clothes, he had no intention of putting them back on because Jesus is risen, he is reigning, he has defeated death once and for all. He is the victor, amen? Amen. 
He's the victor. We can trust in him because he has gained the victory. What Jesus did for Lazarus temporarily, he has done for us ultimately. And the beautiful part of this news for us is that Jesus now invites us into that victory. A victory that we did nothing to earn on our own. A victory that we did nothing to deserve. He invites us into his victory, meaning that we can have the power of life over death. He stands at our tomb, so to speak, and calls us out of death into life, out of a story riddled with sin and pain and into a story filled with his grace, his love, his hope, his compassion, and his life. That is what is available for you. And nothing, nothing, can take that victory away from you. Nothing. That means for us that regardless of what happens in life, we know how this story is going to end. It ends with Jesus on the throne and us enjoying his victory with him, participating with him in his victory. This victory is sure. It is the free gift of God to all who believe. And does that mean that Every situation in your life is going to be roses and rainbows all the time? Of course not. We are living proof that that is not true right now. But it does mean that he uses every single moment for a purpose. He is sovereign, and he is most certainly sufficient in the midst of the suffering if we will trust in him. As we come to a close this morning, Ryan and the team is going to come on back out. I just want to say one more thing, if you'll allow me just a little bit longer. I just want to say one more thing. That I realize that as I tell this story, as we talk about these points, you may hear this and you may think, that sounds great, Adam, but you don't understand my situation. My financial situation is continuing to go south. My job situation has crumbled underneath me. I did lose a friend or a family member to the virus, and there's no life in sight. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. There's no, not even an end in sight. I want you to hear me this morning. If you're in this room, if you're watching this online, I am in no way trying to diminish any pain that anyone is walking through. Pain and suffering are very real parts of our existence. I'm not trying to dismiss any of it, and Jesus is not either. But I want you to see the overarching truth of this story. In this story, we see Jesus reveal himself as the resurrection and the life, as one who has the power over the grave. In order for Jesus to do that, he had to allow Lazarus to die. Death had to come first so that Jesus could show that he had the power over death, right? That stands to reason. That's logical. Jesus had to show that he had power. The way that Jesus showed that he had power over the grave is he allowed Lazarus to die. What he did in this moment, in this story, is he allowed the people of that day to feel the depth of their powerlessness so they could truly appreciate the magnitude of his power. And my question to you is what if he's doing the same thing in your life? What if he's doing that in your life right now? What if he's allowing you to walk through this season so that you will learn to trust in him more fully so that you can experience more of him than you ever dared hope? I don't want to miss out on that at all. I don't want you to either. And so my challenge to you 
is that whenever you walk through the difficult moments in life, do not waste your time pining for a day to come. Do not waste your time asking the questions of why God, why me, why now? Instead, ask God, Lord, what are you doing in the midst of these days? What are you trying to show me? How are you gonna use this moment to make me more like you for your glory and my good? I believe if we walk through every moment of our life like that, but especially the moments of suffering like that, what we will find is a Jesus who is sufficient, a Jesus who is sufficient, one who brings hope into our present, one who brings compassion into our despair, and one who brings life from our death. Would you pray with me? As we close this morning, I just want to remind you that implied in all of this is that you must first have a relationship with Jesus for him to use your suffering, for him to be sufficient in your suffering. You have to first know him for you to experience that hope, for you to experience that compassion, for you to experience that life. You have to have a personal relationship with Jesus. And if you are in this room this morning and that is not true of you, I would beg you not to leave this place until you have made that decision. There are staff members and people who would love to have that conversation with you before you leave this place. If you're watching online right now, there's a form that you can click that just says, I'm new here, that will take you to a form and you can indicate that you want more information about trusting and following Jesus and we will follow up with you. Do not leave this place without making this decision or do not click away from this screen without making that decision. There are others of you who are listening to this, who are in this room this morning, who do know Jesus, but you're still walking through some really difficult times. I just want you to know that here in a moment, Ryan and the team's gonna lead us in a song about the faithfulness of God, of how he's been faithful in the past and we can trust him to be faithful now. Maybe you just need to stand and sing here in a moment and just remind yourself of the faithfulness of God. Remind your soul of his faithfulness to you in the past and encourage yourself, encourage your soul and remind yourself that he's gonna be faithful now. Or maybe you just need to sit and kneel and pray and get real with God about the things that are going on in your life. However the Lord calls you to respond, I would encourage you to do it. Lord, we trust you. We give all of these moments to you. I thank you so much that you are a God who is sufficient in the suffering you continue to use us, shape us, mold us into the people that you have called us to be so that we can move into the world for your glory and the good of those around us. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this sermon. May you trust and follow Jesus more and lead others to do the same. For more information, visit us at pabc.org.